When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PBR Me. ASAP. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to the Purple Podcast. Uh, Ben Gessling off this week, so Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad with you. And uh, Collar, let's start off with this one, actually. You had the, uh, the pleasure... The privilege of touring the Vikings' new uh, practice facility that's going to be located in Egan and I believe is going to open next March. Uh, the headline that I took from, from the tour and the press conference that you guys had was this. It sounds like there is a very good chance that this might be the Vikings' final training camp in Mankato. And if this is in 2018, certainly will be, which will be an end a relationship with Mankato that, if I'm not mistaken, dates back to 1966. I think there is a real chance here, Matthew, that 10 years from now, if you go to a young football fan and you say, son or Young gal, there was a time. There was a time when teams used to go to college campuses and they would hold training camp, and all these big professional athletes being paid millions of dollars would stay in dorms. The kid will look at you and she'd be like, "What?" <laughs> because I think what we are seeing now is the evolution to training camps being held by teams on site, where they own the hotel, they bring the fans in, and ultimately they recoup all of the restaurant, hotel, blah blah blah. Revenue. I think it's something that players probably can't stand is having to go live in Mankato. No offense to everyone who lives in Mankato, but if you've settled down in the Twin Cities and you have to drive an hour away and stay in a dorm and kind of feel like a college kid again for a month, by the time you're making a big contract or anything else or where we are in pro sports, it's just a weird thing that still exists. So some of these teams have really good relationships still with the college. I know Buffalo was like that with the college in Rochester, but they were kind of a little bit different. It was almost like a Minneapolis-St. Paul only a little farther away. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, you're kind of going to you know far away from where the, the cities are, and now you have a chance to bring everybody to one spot and not force your fans to drive an hour away if they want to see what's going on in training camp. The other things about this facility that I took away, not just to bring training camp players into the Twin Cities, but they want players there year-round, making this their home to live in Egan and right near the practice facility. They're going to build apartments around it and everything else. It, yeah, it's be that's Vikingville. what they want it to become, and they want guys to do their off-season training. They want them to do their medical stuff. They want them to have the state-of-the-art type of thing, and if you think about free agents and players staying or going, you want to be able to bring them in on a visit or say to a guy whose contract is coming up, do you really want to leave this? Because there aren't going to be many places point. anywhere in the country yep. that are going to be able to provide you with this. Tell me about, okay, so on, on the show a couple days ago, you were talking about, um, I think the thing that stopped me most, because I still can't get my head around it. Did you call it a speed room? 
Uh, there's a speed room, yes. Okay, what's a speed room? I, I'm not sure. But in the presentation... <laughs> this were, is our speed room. Yes, they were running down all the different things that will be technological advances. And I, I picture, like, your underwater treadmills and things like that. Yeah. And uh, they were talking about a room where instead of going and sitting in the tub... Now you can go into the cold room that's like 180 degrees below zero or something, and if you stay in there for a couple of minutes, it has the same effect as staying in the tub for an hour or something like that. Okay. So they're, what they were trying to really get across is that up to the date, state of the art, everything when it comes to the training facilities, as opposed to now with Winter Park where it feels like, Oh, is this a Division Three college? I mean, Adrian Peterson, after I think his first year here, he was given, gifted with um, a treadmill that I believe came in a tub of some sort. Mm. So, so the whole resistance thing. Adrian, my understanding at the time, was donated it to the Vikings. They knocked out a room that had existed to put this in. My point being, they had players basically coming to them and saying, you can have this because your facility is so bad. <laughs> and now we're talking about things like speed rooms and cold rooms. And you also said there's going to be what? A stadium that can be expanded to 10,000 fans? Uh, 6,000, I think, is okay. the number. But they're going to use it for high school games. And my guess is the way Kevin Warren talked yeah. about the Mankato deal is – they can get out of the agreement in December. And he emphasized several times, we have a great relationship with Mankato. We've known them for a long time, and we'll be able to work something out. So if I had to guess, I would think that Mankato will be playing games from time to time at this stadium. Okay. That would be my guess. Or being able to use the facilities or whatever it might be, but that they'll have some connection to try and repay the favor. It'll be Mankato Day. Yeah. They'll and, bring them up to yep. Egan and they'll be Mankato Day. And to say, hey, sorry for taking away your training camp, but look at our space station here that we have. <laughs> I mean, the, just like when it comes to this stuff, there is a point where – you actually stop for a moment and you think about like the world and how much money is being poured into this and what type of technological advances are going into a game where they only play eight times at home. And it is kind of mind blowing. Yep. But when you put all that aside and just live in our football bubble and don't think about what this means to society yep. and you look at us bank stadium and you look at this facility, you say, you just couldn't get any better than this. You anywhere? But I you mean, bring up a great other point. than Dallas, but, and even then, they've kind of modeled a lot of this after what Dallas has done. But you bring up the intriguing point to me, which is in the in the fight for players now to get players, or just as importantly, or more so, I guess, keep players. You know, there's a lot of teams now who can offer a lot. Of cash, they can you know you can go and they can say five year contract mm -hmm. x amount guaranteed, but then the next point of recruiting or emphasis becomes what facilities, home stadiums, uh, practice fields, practice you know the building where players can stay, and so it does make sense that that if you bring a player in right now and you're the Vikings and you drive out you drive downtown and they see U.S. Bank Stadium. It's fantastic. It's great. Okay, let's see where I practice and work on mm -hmm. a daily basis. You take them to Eden Prairie. They walk in. Locker room, underwhelming. The entire building. You're like, okay. And then you might go talk to, I don't know, take your pick, San Francisco or Dallas or something. You're like, this is great. So it does get to be a, a sort of battle on how much can we also present to you to say, this is a great place to work. And I find it intriguing that they're trying to actually keep players there. Like, mm -hmm. hey, we're going to build apartments here. Uh, because these guys make so much that I'm sure, you know, when the season is done, they can go Florida, Arizona, blah, blah, blah. But if you are going to play somewhere and you're not going to live here, your question becomes, how close can I be to the airport mm -hmm. and the practice field? And this is going to give them access to both places because – They'll, they're not far away from the airport as well, so they can hightail it out of town whenever they want. <laughs> I'm dead serious. Yeah, no, and I think all of this, the player that comes to mind for me with this conversation is Xavier Rhodes. 
because when I look at the market for shutdown corners that will be there, they exercised, they did, right, his fifth year option. Yes. And this is it. This is his fifth year. And so he's a free agent after this year. And they have to work out a contract extension if he's going to stay. But if I were Xavier Rhodes' agent, I would be saying to Xavier, hit the market, man. I mean, look at what Stephon Gilmore just got to play cornerback for the New England Patriots, and Xavier Rhodes is better. It's not a huge gap, but he's a better shutdown corner than Stephon Gilmore is, and Gilmore is making in the range of $60 million with, what, 30 40 guaranteed. I mean, he's making this gigantic set-for-life contract, which, yes, you could get in an extension, but on the free market, sure. that's going to jack up the price. So if you're the Vikings, you want to be able to make this case to Xavier Rhodes. Look, we know you're going to get a gajillion dollars out there in the market, but... Look at what we can bring you. We can set you up. You can live right near the facility. You can have the state of the art. You're going to be the superstar, all these things. Uh, and the facilities, I think, would play some role in that. Plus, mm -hmm. he's from Florida. I imagine he still has family in Florida. Being close to the airport Residence could be a bonus. Too. No, no state taxes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I know. We all want that. But right? these guys are smart. But, I mean, yeah. he, a guy like that is not going to probably spend his life here. Yeah, he's going true. to spend his playing career here. So his mm -hmm. question becomes what can you what can you provide me to make my life as easy as possible? And if I can if I can live near the the facility, I'm close to the airport and eight times a year or a few more if there's playoffs, I have to go downtown, that's all fine. But it does. I mean, this league now collar is so bleeping rich, right? <laughs> and you do. If you go go around and look at more and more, and I don't know that I would call this widespread yet, but it's certainly occurring, you do have teams building basically th their own towns. The Green Bay Packers are buying up land all the time around Lambeau Field. They're doing it to what? They're doing it to basically build a Disney World of Packer land, but also the players say, this is fantastic. The Patriots, Foxborough, Foxborough is nothing more than Patriotville. They just don't call it that. So I so I think what these teams are trying to do is saying, how can we capitalize on every last cent and while we're doing it, build impressive places that will that will cause players to say, I want to be here. And at very least, uh, you could argue that there would be better ways in the community to spend over a hundred million dollars. <laughs> but if but you're they don't care. But it, they don't care. And if you're going to do that, um, this at least has a community element to it with mm -hmm. youth sports and youth football and high school football and things like that. Mm -hmm. So there is that element to it, too. But, I mean, I completely agree with you that what you're trying to do is build uh, not just a product that people can watch on Sundays but consume all the time and yes. a place that if people wanted to – come from out of town to stay and visit and see this giganto facility and everything else that they can do that. I mean, right now, would you bring anybody to Eden Prairie to show them off the of Vikings? No. <laughs> no, of and, course you wouldn't. And you know as well as I do that there are passionate Vikings fans who will travel, uh, who will stay at the Vikings Hotel, and my guess is in the Vikings Hotel, right? In the bottom floor, there will be a Vikings retail store. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I can of go course. get my kids Xavier Rhodes jerseys or mm -hmm. a Bradford jersey. And, and I think they did mention a team yes. store, by the way. I mean, that's that's the whole thing. Um, Teddy Bridgewater, you, you had a, a fantastic story on our website this week about him. Long form story. And my first question to you off off the story and the amount of people that you talk to in your reporting for it is this. Did your opinion of Bridgewater's recovery and where he's at from the people that, that you talked to going deep into his background, did your opinion of his situation change at all as a reflection of what a lot of people t told you about him? I wouldn't say by a lot because I'm a realist. Uh, I remember, who was the uh, lead singer of the Ramones? Was that Joey? I think it was Joey. Okay, so Joey. You might be wrong, but I think it was Joey. I, uh, Joey Ramone. I was watching a documentary on the Ramones uh, just on like public television or whatever. And I remember when he, I think, got cancer, right? Yes. That everyone around him was talking about how incredibly resilient the guy is and everything else and just what an amazing person he is and building this music career that he did. And then he died. And yeah. <laughs> for some reason, that stuck with me. 
And so I guess I look at things like that, medical situations and your body and health. You can't will yourself to have your knee properly recover to play NFL football. So that's just not a real thing. But what I would say is that from the background that I got from his offensive coordinator and from his best friend who now plays for the Steelers, Eli Rogers, if there's anybody who can will themselves to stay positive about his recovery and maximize how much ever anyone could ever get to with that situation, basically, Mm -hmm. it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater. And a couple of the things that I found out that I didn't know, which uh, was we've known that his mom had cancer growing up, but at the same time he was dealing with that, he was also helping Eli Rogers through really tough situations. Rogers' mother had AIDS, and they brought him into his house, the Bridgewater house, and they went to college together, things like that. And once you start to hear these stories, you go, man, this guy, if there's anybody who can bring that right attitude and that work ethic and everything else, the leadership to overcome something like this, that it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater. And I, and I think that the reaction from fans who read the article was pretty much that, hey, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be him. And mm-hmm. maybe because it's the quarterback situation, and even though he has better feet than Sam Bradford, this is not a running quarterback. Like they don't need 500 yards and five rushing touchdowns out of him every year to succeed. He could be a mobile quarterback in the way that Tom Brady or Drew Brees is mobile or Tony Romo. Those guys weren't running quarterbacks, but they could move. But as far as a percentage chance this actually happens, I don't know. I still think it's pretty low. Uh, did you come away, and I think the answer is yes, but did you come away with a much better understanding of why Zimmer loves this kid because I do think you know we keep hearing that and it's always this I love Bridgewater and we're all like okay but sort of why and he's given examples but I don't know that they're great in your reporting how much did you walk away saying okay now at least I get that aspect of it 100% I think I understand where Mike Zimmer gets that feeling for Teddy Bridgewater because the first thing you said to me when I told you about my interview with his former quarterback coach was you said so it's real huh yeah <laughs> like, well but I mean, we're skeptical people of, but it's always been sort of I mean I get I, I don't I'm not saying that Mike was lying about this but I never really completely got it either. Mm-hmm. I mean, it did seem, and, and I will say this, Mike Zimmer strikes me as the type of person who isn't going to just say he loves a kid. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I guess until your story, I didn't really comprehend wh- the why of it. I think it goes to how much he overcame to even be where he is now uh, and how much he went through growing up. Uh, the, his mother having cancer had a profound impact on him and just growing up at a very young age that happened when he was 15 years old. I think that plays a big role in it. And also the thing that Teddy seems to really have is a commitment to being a, a great NFL quarterback, which I mean, sounds like something that everyone has, but from the minute that he got to Louisville, he told his offensive coordinator, I want you to grade me and evaluate me as if I'm going to be an NFL quarterback and hold me to that level of a standard. So he said that as a freshman 17 or 18-year-old just getting to Louisville. I mean, imagine the level of maturity that that takes. I mean, most quarterbacks go in D1, I'm a hot shot, I'm just going to come in and take over the world here or right. whatever. And then, no thought to that. Right, yeah. and then they have to mature along the way. Sure. But he showed a level of maturity that was beyond that. And I also think something that stuck out to me, too, uh-huh is his offensive coordinator said, uh, his name is Sean Watson, he said, this was at Louisville, by the way, said uh, he cares very much about the success of everyone around him. That, And I think that that's not a typical pro-athlete attitude. I mean, like especially today's game, but it probably was always. This is not like a modern thing. But I would say that it probably is more now than it ever was, is like, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get my money, and so if we win, that's nice, but it's about me. Right. Uh, I think Teddy takes a different approach. I think he cares about the human beings that are in that locker room, and he finds ways to show it, and that is unusual and stands out to a coach. Which is why people gravitate towards him. Yes. Where, yes. where I think 
to be clear, I think athletes gravitate towards greatness a lot of times, but that doesn't mean that all great athletes have the it factor of actually caring. And I think, too, that there is a greatness to Teddy that what's unfortunate about his injury, it wasn't fully unlocked yet. Right. I mean, he did go 11-5 and five and was on the precipice of going to the second round of the playoffs, if not for Mr. Blair Walsh. So they saw him win. Everyone in Louisville saw him win. Like, this is a thing that matters a lot, too. I mean, if this is like the backup linebacker, he's a great person. He can't, okay, whatever. Right. Guys would be like, yeah, he's just another guy. Right. But this is a quarterback and someone with, I think, special talent. And without me prompting any of my interview subjects, which I interviewed more people than ended up in the story. I asked Jarek McKinnon. I talked to Charles Johnson. They didn't, uh, they didn't make the final cut, but I got things from them, a feeling and understanding huh? that when the game is on the line or things are difficult – that they knew they could look to him, and that's something I'm not sure they have right now, that when there's a final drive that's needed or a third down that needs to be converted, I'm not sure that the players, his receivers, Sam Bradford's receivers, his offensive linemen, his coach, I don't think they look at him and say, this, he's got it. He's, he's going to win be, this game. And to be clear about this discussion, though, that's not even an indictment on Bradford. It, yes, uh, unfortunately. What, well, but no, but I mean, it's it's good to have that. Yeah. And in your quarterback, the Brady's of the world definitely do. But the interesting thing about and, and this always goes back to to what I've said is you can't walk into a situation, a locker room or step on, on a field and say, listen to me because I'm the guy. Right. You yes. you that's an intangible, mm -hmm. you know, so so Bradford, as much as he might want to. It's impossible for him to walk in that room and say, everyone follow me. You can be that. You can eventually say that if people are naturally gravitating towards you. And perfect example, Favre. Favre just had that. Mm -hmm. Like Brett Favre, for whatever reason, had that weird intangible where people were like, I'm going to follow him. And then he was really good at what he did, and that helped. But, you know, I just I think it's funny because we look for so much from – quarterbacks and a lot of times we're like why can't this guy do this why can't he lead why can't well that's something that you sort of have built in mm -hmm. and people gravitate towards it it's not something where you can say you know what tomorrow i'm going to wake up and i'm going to be a national football league quarterback and that's going to start with the locker room respecting me and following me they either have that to start off with mm -hmm. and if you do it's great and it's fantastic and it's a great starting point or you don't so if bridgewater had that that's what potentially would make the story so sad if this is it yeah. because he never ran an offense that was truly his. And, and from what you're telling me, caller, you were seeing glimpses of this, but it was flickering. And so let's say either starting last year or this year, the light, the light would have fully gone on and there's a chance now it will never get to go on. Yeah. That's and what's sad about. Well, this. what you're talking about too, with the Brett Favre thing is that, his teammate, you need to prove it. Like teammates would see him do it, and Teddy Bridgewater, it's zero degrees at TCF Bank Stadium, and he leads a drive that sets them up to win that game. So in everyone's minds, that's on that team, they say we saw him do it. And if you go back to Louisville, there was a game where he wasn't supposed to play because he had a broken left wrist and I think a broken ankle or sprained ankle. So he was not supposed to play. Mm -hmm. They needed to win that game to secure a bowl bid. Mm -hmm. And they got down early, so he talked his way onto the field. And I've got the video included, so if you go check out the article, he talks his way onto the field and literally can't drop back in the pocket. He can only take the snap and then throw the ball and leads a comeback win. Like These are, wow. these are special things that yep. he was able to do. And what I was going to say is, unfortunately... With Sam Bradford, he gets compared to a truly special quarterback in my mind, which is Teddy Bridgewater. I think he is, from ha having these conversations and also going back and watching the film of 2015, mm -hmm. I think what you have is a guy who is truly special. That doesn't mean he had quite some of the arm talent of other quarterbacks, but he would also make special throws. Tony Romo or uh, Drew Brees level throws, and... I think where everyone else stood, including myself, was if Norv Turner is gone out of the picture and he's got an offense that really suits him, that this could be a top 10 quarterback. 
and uh, Sam Bradford's in the unfortunate position of being compared to what we believe Teddy Bridgewater would have been. Right. But just another thing on that, you would think that Sam Bradford coming into uh, Teddy Bridgewater's locker room would be pretty tough. Like, they had no choice, and they were winning, so it was pretty much like, hey, we've got no choice. We've got we've to just go. Um, but over an off season and everything else, and from all indications, it sounds like Bridgewater is helping Sam Bradford. It's, it sounds like... Bridgewater has been talking to this is from what Stefan Diggs wrote in the Players Tribune that he's been telling his wide receivers things about how the quarterback sees the field so he can help them understand Sam Bradford as a quarterback I mean think about that yeah like think about that I mean that is the type of stuff that we know these guys are competitors and, and Favre wanted nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers yeah, Brent, right Brent wasn't yeah. helping right and even I watched an interview with Alex Smith about Pat Mahomes being drafted, and he's trying real hard to say the right things, but he's biting his lip pretty hard. Yes, I think Teddy Bridgewater is the opposite, and that approach is what would make Mike Zimmer care about him so much and appreciate him so much. So uh, I don't know anything more from talking to these people than anybody else does about his recovery. Mm -hmm. um, it was interesting to me that nobody I asked said, hey, I've heard it's going great. Like, you know what I mean? Hey, just off to the side, because you know this. You'll do an interview sometimes with somebody, and yep. then you turn the recorder off, and they'll be like, hey, you know, just here's what I've heard, uh, you know, just for your story or whatever, just so you know, don't put that out there or whatever. Nobody said that to me. So it doesn't seem to me like anybody really knows where this is going. Including the team. Including the team. Like the front office, I think. But I think that everybody around him, because mm -hmm. of his personality, believes that he can get back on the field. And if he does, well, that makes things pretty interesting, doesn't it? If he does this year, then it's, do you believe in him That's actually? A, this is you know such I mean? a tough discussion because, yes, it does. But, you know, coming back from something like this is going to be such a long road. And I think even once he gets back on the field, it's going to take – a while to be like, okay, how, how has he had to change and how do things change? Mm -hmm. And not to mention Spielman gave up a, a first-round pick to get Bradford. There's so many interesting elements to the quarterback discussion now. Bradford's contract, does Spielman, does Spielman feel as locked into Bradford as Zimmer does to Bridgewater? So it's going to be tough. Uh, Bridgewater went 32nd in the draft when the Vikings made a trade with the Seattle Seahawks to get back into the first round in a draft where they also, in the top 10, took Anthony Barr. You had a, a piece this week on the uh, website about Anthony Barr. And it's interesting because a few years ago I said, in my opinion on defense, Matthew Collar, Anthony Barr was the linchpin of this defense, the most important part because of the ability to move him around and make it very difficult for opponents to know where he, he would be playing after what could be, I think, very aptly described as a rough 2016, though. You have come to the conclusion that Anthony Barr might be better off doing what? Paps Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Paps Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Paps Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me ASAP. I think he'd be better off becoming a pure pass rusher in the same way that Dante Hightower is for the New England Patriots. About one out of every two passing downs that Dante Hightower is on the field for, mm -hmm. he's rushing the passer. And for Anthony Barr, it's about one out of every four. And I think that that should increase this year because last season he struggled with the run defense. I can chalk that up to maybe he was a little dinged up and I think missing Sharif Floyd was a big deal there I think that the uh, defensive linemen have a lot to do with how successful the linebackers are oh yeah so 100% but where he scored still very well uh, pro football focus ratings and then if you watch the film too is still getting after the quarterback creating pressure doing his job when it came to rushing the passer he didn't get a ton of sacks but he had a lot of pressures, and I think you can remember Thanksgiving Day. He was getting after Matt Stafford early in the season, uh, Cam Newton. 
maybe as the season went along, they didn't rush him as much. And I noticed a big difference in uh, him blitzing up the middle, that he wasn't allowed to blitz up the middle as much as the season went on. Which had been their big thing. Right. In 2015, that was their big thing. He rushed up the middle uh, 15% more in 2015 than he did 2016. Okay. So I'd like to see him rush the passer even more as part of his main role and not ask him to do uh, as much pass coverage because I think that it was a weakness that other teams really exposed last year, that they went after him. They said, we're not throwing at Harrison Smith. He's too good. We're not throwing at Xavier Rhodes. He's too good. We're going to go after that middle linebacker who struggles in coverage. Now, my question to you, Judd, is do you agree with my assessment? If you don't, it's fine. And do you think, Thank you for the absolute. Do you think that? Uh, but do you think that it's realistic? Because when I look at the numbers and I look at the film from last year, I come away with, yeah, he should be rushing the passer all the time. That was his reputation in college. I even included a quote from his uh, NFL.com draft profile when he came out, mm-hmm. and it says, "We expect this guy to have double-digit sacks. He's a pass rusher." Jason Taylor, like Jason, t- was yes. the feeling at the time, yes. or even I, I remember um, that. Khalil Mack, because there were a lot the same of same sort of thing. There were a lot of people that later que- draft that questioned that pick that that high, and the people that defended it said, "No, th- this guy has Jason Taylor like capabilities." Yeah. So, um, yes, I agree with what you're saying. I know for a fact that in coverage he's never been that good. I also I also know for a fact that what I really liked at the outset of his career and the first couple years. Matthew was the fact that Anthony Barr seemed to be successful because opponents couldn't judge where he would necessarily be, which brings me, which brings me to this question just to throw out there. It's, it was interesting to me that uh, Zimmer went after, went after Barr to a certain, to a certain degree last year, late in the year by, by talking about effort and then sort of tried to walk that back. But at any point in time by, I don't know, by the time we got to December last year, had the Vikings become defensively, at least in some ways, too predictable? Had, had they become, had, because two years ago, the the double-A gap and that blitz was all the rage. I mean, the Vikings were getting credit for it. There was a lot written and talked about it. Zimmer was being praised up and down. Are we looking, starting with Barr, but but developing the conversation to the rest of the defense as well, are we talking about a defense that in some ways became too predictable? Because the one thing about defenses in this league now is the ability to show multiple formations and different looks has become imperative. And so if I sit there and watch your film and I know what you're going to do, let's say I've got three tells and I know that you're going to to do those as an offensive coordinator, I can beat you because I will sit there for months and months to get a read on, on that. So are we talking about a, a bigger conversation that uses bar as the jumping off point too about a defense that began to show itself too much and didn't mix things up and didn't respond to what offenses were doing to it. Two parts to that. I think one is they got after the quarterback so much early in last season that other teams went, all right, we're going to have to adjust and get the ball out quickly because Everson Griffin's a beast, Daniel Hunter's a beast, the blitzes are succeeding quite a bit. We're going to have to change up what we do. Also, they they sacked Cam Newton a bunch of times. Well, Cam Newton plays in an antiquated offense that is kind of like Norv Turner's that asked him to sit back in the pocket and long developing routes. With a line that wasn't that good either. It was a horrible line yes. last year for them. They had Michael Orr get hurt early, and Remmers was playing the left tackle instead of the right tackle, just where he's not suited to play. Right. And uh, they got eaten alive by uh, the Vikings defense. But... First of all, Cam Newton should not be playing in that offense. That should be Cam Newton should make a quick read at the line, quick pass or run with the ball or what whatever. Right. Like he should be making quick reads and quick passes and then going with deep bombs instead of sitting back, sitting back, sitting back. It's like are you trying to get him killed? And that's what they almost did. And the answer was yes. And really, I think he struggled in part last year because the Vikings beat him up so badly. He mm-hmm. had to leave that game briefly and uh, I think so. I think that that made them look really, really good, and other teams adjusted pretty quickly to that. The area where they fool teams defensively is with Harrison Smith, 
And when Harrison Smith got hurt and was slowed, now he's a warrior for trying to play through that, right. but it was clear, and you look at his pro football focus ratings, everything else, they went down when he was hurt. Clearly, he was not playing as well as he was. When he was 100% healthy, like I think of the Giants game as the Xavier Rhodes game, but Harrison Smith, when you go back and watch the film, is every bit as dominant in that game. Like Eli Manning has no idea where he's going to be. He's faking blitzes. He's coming that's on blitzes. That's what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Like that's the You're, way exactly. that that is the way that they have. And that's how you win. Teams. Yes, and I think they'll continue to do that. Okay. Um, but I think to your point, they could use Barr more in that fashion as well. What I'd like to see is Barr just in on fewer downs, uh, in on fewer third downs, especially. I know, but. Here's another question with Anthony Barr. Yeah. Um, was it a mistake to pick up his fifth-year option? Because I kind of think it was. Because of his drop-off or what? Because of his drop-off and because of the position he plays. I mean, we saw Bill Belichick last year just trade Jamie Collins. Yeah. Like, sorry, you're gone. We don't really need you that much, and See? we don't really want to pay you, so you're traded. And I think that position versus the money he'll make on next year's cap. And I generally trust everything the Vikings do with the cap. But in this case, they basically only had one option, which was to give him gigantic money for next year. Yep. And with the way his play fell off. But they're and, banking on him bouncing back. But yeah, in, the, in their mind at Winter Park, he's going to come back and have a good year. Yeah, the thing is, though, that if he was a 10-sack guy, I'd say... Like, okay, he had a bad year, okay, but so you let's need say, to keep him. Upside, upside. let's say that they take your idea and that's theirs too, and they run with that. What can he be? If he's used wisely, what can he be? Maybe he could be that Whitney Merciless role that but we I'm saw, saying but then that's a 3-4 defense. Right, but then we're talking about a guy statistically who, who would be worth keeping with that option, yeah, and that's what they're yeah. thinking. And I don't think that they'll do what I think they should do. I think what they'll try to do is to continue to have Anthony Barr be that every down linebacker. He's never been great against the pass. I will say that. He's never been. And that's what kind of confuses me. Now, he did say that they've figured out what some of the problems were. Now, of course, he wouldn't elaborate, but I wonder if they saw some of the same things I saw. But if you're asking him to be that all-around linebacker, like that rushes the passer and gets a handful of sacks, that covers on every down, that stuffs the run... I don't know that that's what he's going to be because I think teams got a book on him after his first two years and they made adjustments and that's where it hurt him. How do you get okay? How do the Vikings get back to the to the point where that double A gap blitz again is effective consistently? How how do you get back there? See this this to me is what I love about the sport, the cat and mouse game. Mm -hmm. Right now, the month the months that we are are sitting in to me, are the most intriguing because this is when coordinators who have nothing else to do, I mean, they might go home once in, in a while and eat with their spouse. But for the <laughs> most part, but for the most part, this is when you sit down. I mean, I always found it so intriguing when Kaepernick became successful and the talk was no one, no one can stop him. The Packers didn't stop him. No one can stop it. The read option, no one can stop it. And he said, of course they can because these guys are going to sit there for months with nothing but dark rooms and film, and they're going to scheme. So double-A gap blitz, clearly the Vikings had success. It got countered to. Now what they're required to do if it's going to work again is counter to the counter. What can they do to, to find success there again to change that look or at least not be so consistent the teams can predict it? Uh, number one is a zone blitzing scheme. Uh, which was originally designed to counteract West Coast offenses by uh, Dick LeBeau. And by the way, the book Smart Football by Chris B. Brown, there's two versions of it, one and two. Uh, I read the second one. It includes a lot about that. Super interesting stuff. A lot about Aaron Rodgers and RPOs and packaged plays. And it's like, if you're a real football guy, that's a super good book to read. And that was one of the things that stuck out to me about it was that Dick LeBeau basically designed the uh, zone blitzing to stop West Coast offenses. Mm -hmm. That if you um, dropped a, a defensive lineman back in coverage and blitz from different areas, that it would force quarterbacks to instead of look... The, the West Coast concept basically is you look for the deep pass, and if it's not there, you go to your first option underneath. Right. That's like the basis of West Coast offense. 
So if you were to, well, we're going to get after the quarterback with a blitz so he can't use that deep pass, but then we're going to drop a guy back where his most likely area to dump off is, mm -hmm. then he's fooled, right? And, and sometimes you'll see, I think in the Super Bowl, you saw a defensive lineman make an interception, right? I think against Peyton Manning, and that was what happened. You, when you see defensive lineman, fat guy gets interception. Well, it's probably his own blitz. So they could include a little more of that. But I think it's more about being willing to say, you know what? Every once in a while, we're going to give up a 20-yard run, and that's fine. I think Mike Zimmer is that so – That freaked him out, though. I know it did. I, that, in Chicago, I, that was one of your big – that was one of their biggest problems. There was the Chicago one. There was the one against Detroit, and I think those freaked out Mike Zimmer. And I also think Zimmer is a football guy in his heart. Now, I think he adjusts, and I think he's been brilliant at that over his career. Yep. But in his heart – he wants to see our fullback run over your linebacker. Yep. Like he just, that's his football mentality. Me and and football. when his yeah. team, which is why he loves Linval Joseph, right? Yep. Like, cause our big fat giant guy is going to dominate yours. And that's, that's how we're going to win. And so when you allow a 20 yard run up the middle, because you were double a gap blitzing, what's going to happen from time to time. If you're blitzing, you just have to accept it. Running is still every bit as prevalent as it has ever been in the NFL. If you look at how many times teams hand off, but when they do it, how often they do it, and how often they pass, and what it means and why to winning. It. Yes. Right. Why they do it. Exactly. If you are giving up four and a half yards a carry versus 3.9 yards a carry, it's probably not that big of a difference. Mm -hmm. You would make that sacrifice every day of the week, but I don't know that Mike Zimmer will make that But Zimmer sacrifice. gets freaked out by long runs. He does, yeah, I think so. So if you gash him for 15 yards, he goes nuts. But yeah. I, I'm going to tell you right now, in my opinion, for the 2017 Vikings defense, the two biggest concerns are this. Nickel corner, which I think they're trying to get by with, possibly on the cheap, which I think is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And the other, the other instrumental one to me is if Sharif Floyd is truly done, the three technique. Mike Zimmer, the basis of the success that he has experienced on defense, to your point about linebackers, defensive line, the success of the backers, is built on very good, strong defensive tackles. Nose tackle, which they have in Joseph, and a three technique. And if they don't have the three technique covered, if they, if they have somebody there who's okay but not great, I think it's a recipe for disaster because I think the infrastructure of the Zimmer defense is built on those two spots. Yep. And if one of them is weak, it's, it's tantamount to ha having a weak foundation. And everything else from there on back then suffers. I also think that if Linval Joseph gets hurt, there's no one to play nose. Oh, I no, mean, then you're no. You're, you're hoping that Jaleel Johnson, a fourth-round draft pick, is going to be able to play but I'm saying healthy. starting nose. But, I, but yeah. I'm just saying let's just assume health. Yep. And but. Let's assume health, but Floyd doesn't play, or he's a shell of, of himself. And if that three technique, if that defensive tackle position is weakened again, I think that's a weak cornerstone that's going to affect everything that he wants to do defensively. Yeah, and I think the same thing for Harrison Smith. Uh, what I wanted to see in the offseason was them bring in a veteran safety. They won't do it, Matthew. I don't understand that. I he think... wanted. I mean, he specifically asked at the Combine, I believe, a year ago, not this year, at, a year ago basically talked about how great it would be to pair Smith with a safety and essentially said if we could do that, Harrison Smith could do all these things. And to this day, they went after that, they went and re-signed Sandejo, who is Sandejo. Mm -hmm. They won't do it. Like that, that, I don't understand it. And I, I'm not even saying you got to spend a ton of money, but to your point, go and get somebody who you think is very functional. Well, I just wanted a backup. I mean, I, I just thought that oh, they I'd needed to see him with a guy who you could trust him completely. So oh, that yeah, no, I mean, Harrison I, can do I thought thing. it was even possible that they would draft someone like Buddha Baker to put next to Harrison Smith that it, I mean, when we go back to that draft philosophy, they spent a ton of draft assets to get two guys to improve their running game. Like, I know there's all these fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounders. I don't know who's going to be good, who's not going to be good. But there were six draft picks spent total for Delvin Cook and Pat Elfline. When you consider the ones they had to trade up and then the ones that they used. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if just looking at what they need to succeed, if the defense is not top five in the NFL, this team is going nowhere. Correct. I might have put more assets into the defense this offseason to 
solidify that nickel spot with someone like Nikel Roby Coleman, draft another safety, just put insurance at every single position. I know that the offensive line is a huge deal and they had to fix it. They had to sign those guys. I would have preferred them to maybe just put a veteran filler like Jari Evans in there at guard, even as opposed to Elfline, who I think will be a very good center. I think he'll be, I mean, he might be one of the better ones in the league if he turns out. But from a f- philosophical standpoint, the only ways to win are really being really good at the pass or being really good at stopping the pass. And I think what you're underestimating, though, is the hubris of most teams. And this one certainly qualifies in saying that Zimmer is so good of coach defensively that he makes up for it. Yeah. That he'll be able yeah. to. And and I think where there's fault there is, I get it. I believe it was 2014. Zimmer gets hired, comes here, and spends training camp with Rhodes. And he takes he takes Xavier Rhodes from a very functional player. I mean, he was not a bad player. Very, very functional player. But he expedites the improvement very quickly. And Rhodes becomes really good. And so the Vikings say, okay, Alexander, he's going to work with him now in training camp. And McKenzie's going to become your nickel corner. Well, I don't know that, that that's the truth. And if it's not, you're in huge trouble because the nickel corner in 2017 is a starting position. Mm-hmm. But I think to what you're saying, they're thinking to themselves, Mike Zimmer's so good at coach defensively, he's yeah. going to make he, – he will make up for where things lag. I don't think that's true. I think there's – in 2014, the Vikings had time. See, that's the difference. There's not time now. There's no time when your ownership expects you because you're going to host the Super Bowl in February 2018 to be in that game. There's not time where, oh, man, you know, we were wrong on McKenzie. And Alexander, he's not as good as we thought. So what do we do now? Let's work with him some more. No, he's going to get benched. Okay, well, so then do you move Terrence Newman inside to the nickel at the tender age of 40 and assume that Trey Waynes can just play every down? But I really do think that in this league especially, there is always a hubris operating about we've got a guy that can fix it. I think what you're referring to is there's no parachute for the defense. No. There's no if so-and-so gets hurt, then, oh, that's okay. They've got whoever who can fill in for five games, and it won't really hurt you. I think right now if Harrison Smith has to miss five games, you are talking about J. Ron Curse as your starting safety, and you are in trouble at that point. But this team has no... Overall, this team has no element for injury, period. Yeah. If you have yeah. either of those tackles go down, look at the depth chart because TJ Clemens is coming back. There's another thing to it as well with the point about Zimmer can coach him up. Mm-hmm. Xavier Rhodes, I did a piece on him as well in the offseason, and <laughs> I, he's a special guy too. Like Rhodes is kind of quiet with the media. He doesn't really uh, get himself out there, self-promote like maybe other corners do. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we we just think, oh, yeah, this is a guy that Zimmer just coached up. But Rhodes has had an incredible approach to being a great player. It's been really helped by Terrence Newman, too. And he's allowed Newman to take him under his wing. He's allowed Zimmer to coach him and to learn the position and has had a great attitude about it. I mean, this is a guy who comes in with Newman on off days to have special film sessions just between them and the other guys. I mean, so he's done everything the right way from the very beginning that he got there. Sure. I don't know that that's going to be the case with every corner. I mean, I think this is a special player, and that's why he's emerged to one of the best in the league. Right. But does it mean that just because Mike Zimmer is Mike Zimmer, Trey Wayans is going to take the next step? Or McKenzie, McKenzie Alexander is no, going to take the next step? No, it does not at all. And so I, I go through this list of questions on defense, and I say, man, there are a lot. And if you aren't in the top five, you're just probably not making the playoffs. Because at best, I think you're looking at an average passing game. And even if you improve the running game, well, that's good. But that doesn't mean if you improve the running game from last in the league to 16th that you're going to dominate the league. Or top five, you still won't dominate the league. That's why I think on the defensive side, you needed to make sure that every single position had a parachute. If Mackenzie Alexander doesn't work out, here's another guy. There, no parachute there. there, there are not I mean, many parachutes and the Sharif Floyd thing that's not their fault I mean they no, had, but that position is yes super important and I think they've done a lot there they drafted a guy and they've signed two guys sure. that are veterans I'm just saying that 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 position to me if you are looking at the factors that 
a Mike Zimmer defense revolves around, that's a big one. Yeah. Oh, I so if you're totally good there, agree. it's great. But if you're not, it's going to definitely bite you in the butt. Yep. And the other thing too is there were some guys last year, Xavier Rhodes included, who had really special seasons. That I mean, they were just spectacular. Daniil Hunter is one of them. Now, I think our natural assumption is everyone will just get better if they're young. Well, I mean, he might be the same guy, but teams might game plan for him now. Sure. And he might not end up with the same number of sacks. What was he, fifth in the league last year? He might not because they're game planning for him. Xavier Rhodes might not allow and, a 40 quarterback rating and to my point, his way. They're game planning for them all offseason. Yeah. That's the yep. issue with this league. Correct. It's not week to week. Like the Green Bay Packers and Detroit and maybe Chicago, although Chicago is going to suck. But teams like the Packers are sitting there right now knowing they play the Vikings twice and saying, okay, how can we beat them? But I do think that and the Vikings are doing the same. If, if they do stay healthy on the defensive side, it's top three, I think. I think it's top three, top uh, five in the league. I have, I honestly, I, I w- will withhold judgment until I if, see the pe- how the nickel corner position holds up. Well, let me put this if. If, An- if Anthony Barr, uh-huh. I'm not going to say he's back to two years ago because I think that ship sailed. If he becomes the pass rusher that I'm talking about and that's his major role, and let's just say he improves a little bit uh, in the run game just because he went down very far last year. But let's say he doesn't have as many tackles broken, things like that. I think we are talking about a top three defense if they're mostly healthy and Anthony Barr is back to being Anthony Barr. Um, as I said, the one thing that I have to wait for is can Mackenzie Alexander grab that job? Because if he can't, all hell could break loose. If you if you now, because you know Rhodes is going to be good, but if you now, if Mackenzie Alexander craps out as as your nickel corner, which we've seen happen in this town before with a young player moved to a position, which, by the way, is not a cornerback position. It's a hybrid corner linebacker, and it's a weird position. It, it's, it's, there's constant activity inside. And so now if you have to move Terrence Newman inside to that, play Trey Waynes on an every-down basis, and Waynes is okay but not great, and now you're playing against Matthew Stafford twice and Aaron Rodgers. And just look at how they start the, the season and the quarterbacks. I mean, Drew, Bre- Drew Brees, I guarantee you, Drew Brees' first pass on opening night is going to be at Mackenzie Alexander. <laughs> yeah. um, that's the one that would scare me because that is, that is instantaneous big plays. So if he's good, they'll be fine. They'll be, they could be very good health provided. If he's not, it all starts to buckle. Uh, Las Vegas has the Vikings at over under eight and a half. How do you feel about that? I believe I said nine, and I will stick with nine. Yeah. Over, but barely, and I don't have them as a playoff team right now. I think which what, will cause which will cause changes to be made if I'm right. I think what everybody, whether it's the ESPN power ranking folk or the football outsiders who had them, they still don't have them. I think they still have them. What seven wins now? Yeah, football outsiders is not pumped. They're not excited about them um, at all. Post-draft, by the way. What what really stands out to me is that I think the ceiling on this team from where everyone is looking at, if you just took the consensus, you took across the board, put them all together and average it all out, the ceiling on this team most people are looking at is about 10 wins, and the floor could be really low, though, right? Yes. I mean, that's the way I look at this season is there's an incredible gap between uh, how things could play out with most teams. I think you can put them in a little box. Somebody will surprise you, but you could say, look, I mean, Dallas this year, they're going to have a harder schedule. So maybe they won't win as many games, but their floor is they're going to be like a 10 win team, right? right? If people stay healthy is always the caveat. Right. But uh, with, with this team, it's like, even if everyone stays healthy, you could see Sam Bradford taking another step and all these weapons and the better offensive line and they go 11 and 5 and I wouldn't be stunned if they win 11 and 5. I'd agree with that. Because I also think Detroit's falling off and I think that Chicago is bad. Yep. So you could win 3 out of 4 or 4 out of 4 of those games. Yep. And boy, you're looking although at you, a great season. Although for whatever reason in Soldier Field you never play well, but yes, I'm I'm with you. Um but to your point before and this is true of all teams, but with this team, just knowing their depth chart, there is no margin for guys to get hurt. I would agree. Like with either that, your yeah. offensive tackles goes down, yep. you're in trouble. Defensively, there's not a lot there. Um, 
no team can can take the type of injury problems that the Vikings had in 2016. But that being said, there is no infrastructure here. So your offensive line, it's going to be improved. But once again, I'll go back to this. You also are going to bring a lot of guys to camp. Don't tell me that's great. You know, don't tell me, oh, look at all these offensive linemen. You've improved it, but you've improved it from what was awful to. Hey, uh, Gessling went to Bud Grant's garage sale. Should I have gone? I feel like a bunch of people went, and I was like, oh, was I supposed to go? I, You know what? It's a good little story. I feel like if you had gone, though, it, I mean, not that it wouldn't be intriguing. I've, I have never gone to it, but I feel like it's a story at this point everybody's doing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the Strib went. Kramer went for the Strib. I saw, I think, Thomason went for the Pioneer Press. Gessling's there. You could have gone, but I feel like if you had gone to it, it would be like ten stories about this thing. Yeah, the other thing is too that uh, even though I respect Bud Grant's greatness as a head coach and what he accomplished, it's probably different for people who grew up here. Like oh, just yeah. with the connection. Well, here's, my, here's my complaint. Here's my complaint about it. My understanding is Bud is unveiled for this garage sale, which he claims will be his last. But I guess that's a yearly thing. He's always saying this will be the last one. The family saying it might be. It might not be. Bud has unveiled a Bud bobblehead, which he's selling for like 90 bucks, okay? Oh, my gosh. Now, my mother, back in the day when I was little, was a noted garage sailor. So they'd start on Thursdays. <laughs> and the night before on Wednesday, she'd go through the classified or the ads in, in the paper, garage sale here or there, and she would find a bunch of garage sales, and we would go. But a garage sale is supposed to be, you know, you go into someone's garage and, hey, here's a coffee mug that I had a bunch of and I'm now... You know, 10 years ago, I bought these or five years ago. And so buy one of these. I'm sorry. But when you're unveiling a bobblehead that you've had made for your garage sale, <laughs> that's no longer a garage sale. <laughs> I agree. That's a sale. <laughs> so I'm not criticizing the tra- the trapper for this. But what I'm saying is don't tell me it's a garage sale when you're retailing something that's new and just been made for 90 bucks. So another thing that I saw is that you can't uh, argue prices with Bud. Yes. Which I think would have been the greatest part of it. Like, but I'll give you eight bucks for this instead of 20. You know, uh, when I uh, did a yard sale before I moved here, yep. trying to earn a few extra bucks, just get rid of stuff, people haggled with me over things that you would never believe. Like, we had a bunch of shoes that were used, but not like That's pretty in terrible case, uh, in terrible shape. And also, we had some that were pretty much brand new that we just never wore or okay. didn't wear hardly at all. That's an improvement. Yeah. Uh, but whatever, we just threw them out there. Right. We like we're throwing everything out and there. Somebody wants somebody wants shoes. I mean, my wife had bought a pair of brand new shoes and just had never worn them. You know, women's shoes are different too. Yes. Like they might wear them for one occasion or something. Yes. Not Any, like yes. Anyway, I mean, there were people who were, oh. I'll give you a buck and a half instead of three bucks for these shoes. I mean, I'm selling shoes at like whatever. No one's ever going to wear these. What am I going to get? 20 bucks for them? So I'd have them at like three bucks or whatever. And people would come up and be like, eh, I'll give you like a buck 50. Like, are you serious? I'm giving you shoes that cost 80 bucks for three and you want to give it for a buck 50. But that's part of the fun and entertainment uh, of a th- garage that's a, that's what I was or yard say. sale. That's it, right? Yes. The whole thing, the whole so thing Bud, is to haggle fight over. You. No, 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 but Bud, but but I, I want, family. He's ninety, right? I, yeah, I want to say garage sale number one. I want to say Bud, and I might be wrong here, but I thought he was. I thought autographs were free at one time, and now I think it's twenty bucks. So like Bud's charging, but I'm sorry when you're selling new materials that you're having made. It's not a garage sale. It's a sale. It's basically you've opened a store. Yeah, like if I'm having yeah, a, Grant store. like like if I am if I'm going to hold a sale at my place in St. Louis Park and you're going to walk in and there's going to be 15 new Judd bobbleheads that ain't a, I I didn't have those Judd bobbleheads sitting around my house before I had them made for the damn sale. I think we need Judd bobbleheads. I actually attended a wedding where the bride and groom had bobbleheads made for of themselves for the occasion. We could have collar wow. Zolgad. Gessling, purple, <laughs> purple podcast, podcast, bobbleheads made. Um, for my engagement party, we signed baseballs for everybody. So we gave away. That was like your party favorite. Good signature. We, 
No, I terrible. got a terrible signature. Uh, but I tried really hard. We just, you know, Sloan and Matt, we just put our and then get, and so we bought these little boxes, like these clear boxes. Yes. So they we wrapped a little thing around them and put them in a box and gave them to everybody. So we've got one at home. That's a nice little thing. Uh, I'd rather have a bobblehead though. Now I didn't know you could you just like bobbleheads. I didn't know you could just like make a bobblehead. Of well, yourself. you could. It's it's not cheap. There's a company. Yes, but there's a company that actually will do that if they're still around. So you could send out. I I don't know if you just send them pictures of yourself or what, but they will ship you back bobbleheads of you and the wife if you want. Or as I said, we could have purple podcast collar guestlings all get bobbleheads. Made. I think they would probably sell out. Very quickly, I'm guessing. Or they would all be thrown in the river or something. All right. <laughs> like your koozies. Yeah, exactly. Like the, yeah, Ma- Roycey and Mackie koozies, Judd and Mackie koozies, so many koozies. All right, we're done. Right. We're going to do uh, another episode next week, and Guessling will be back. Guessling so will rejoin us. Those huge Ben Guessling fans, don't worry. He'll be back soon. Thanks for coming to the Purple Podcast. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.